Hello, personal productivity enthusiasts and community. Welcome to Anything But Idle, the productivity news podcast. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. And I'm Augusto Pinot. And we're your hosts for Anything But Idle. This is episode three, and we're recording this on May 21st, 2020. Each week, we cover the productivity news headlines of the week. Then we have our Science of Productivity segment. After that, we go into our featured story of the week. And with that, let's get into our headlines. So, Augusto, what is our first story this week? So, Forbes published an article titled, New Survey Shows 47% Increase on Productivity, Three Things You Must Do When Working From Home. It is interesting how much struggle for some people has been this coming home and working. And I think the article brings three good issues three good points for people who have no experience working from home to to implement. One of them is get comfortable. It is important to try to get the right setup for you. You When you look into places like Amazon right now, there is a lot of office implements, small desk, additional screens and stuff that simply are out of stock and are going to be out of stock because the demand in combination with that Amazon is trying to deliver essentials first, plus the demand, it's going to run out for a while. The second one is build boundaries. And I think that's important uh, for some people. You know, this is where I'm working. This is where I'm not working. And if that's possible, and be creative with that in the sense that you don't need to have a whole house. You just need to have a particular way to set up that build that boundary. And finally, uh, the article talks about reconfigure the water cooler, you know, make sure you are still being able to talk with your coworkers and with your friends and and keep that water cooler concept alive so that stay at home and be at home doesn't cause so much isolation. Continuing on with headlines uh, in the Google world, uh, Google has decided to roll out eSIM support for iOS users. So those who are already iOS subscribers to Google's MVNO, uh, which is their mobile broadband service, uh, the global broadband service they provide, they have issued their companion app to allow eSIM support. So if you happen to be a Google Fi person and you are on iOS and you want to be able to use eSIM, now you can which is fantastic. I've been using the eSIM card for Google Fi on my Google Pixel line of phones uh, for many years now and absolutely love the ability to have my physical SIM and the eSIM uh, both on the device at the same time. So this is a great addition. What's next? There is an article on LinkedIn talking about how maybe we should start the opening into a four-day in the office, a 10-day off, with the idea that the information we have so far is that it takes around three days to get sick with COVID-19, but then we'll take around three days to start showing. Then going to the office four days and going to work remotely or going at home working for 10 days, what will allow the offices is if you have really sick or got any symptoms, you will be at home by the time that happened and you will know not to return. So it may be an interesting way to start looking into the opening as hopefully end of June or July will come and these opening conversations are going to start happening. Back to Google and Chrome. Google has recently uh, put out a standards documentation regarding how they want ads to be displayed in Google Chrome. And they've decided that 
resource-heavy ads are going to be limited or blocked in future versions of Chrome, and they're starting to go ahead and uh, block those ads. And that's going to be really great because, you know, if you're on a phone and you're out there trying to look at a website and some very large ad weighs down your ability to even open the website. Uh, that could just be a really frustrating experience. And obviously, Google doesn't want that to happen. Uh, so this is actually happening on the Chromium level, which is which is going to be really great because this is the, the foundation for Microsoft Edge, Google Chrome, and many other browsers that are out there. So this is really uh, going to be great. Next up. Well, let's bring the iPad. You know, Adobe brings curved to Photoshop on the iPad, a pro resolution raw support for Premiere Pro and After Effects. Adobe has been trying to play with the hardware. It's not a hardware issue. I think it's more they need to make heavy coding in order to really use the iPad. But the designers I use who live on the iPad and use Adobe as their tool are really, really enjoying the little things that they are. And I think Adobe has said that they are committed to come to the iPad as a platform that will be really interesting for for all this. And continuing on iPad news, what has Todoist done for the iPad lately? Todoist had a couple of, you know, we iOS 13 launched mouse support, and most people thought it was going to be something that wasn't going to be really powerful as you have the touch screen. And what has been discovered is that it really make a difference for certain tasks. So finally, Todoist, as among other developers, are starting to add this support for for the mouse and for then being able to really integrate the mouse into creative uses inside of the different apps. With Todoist for iPadOS 13.4 and above, it has mouse and trackpad support, and which means you can right-click on things, you can long-press on um, menus, uh, so I think this is really going to be a, an interesting new update for the Todoist users. So good luck with that. Next up is a new application that is out for iOS. It is called uh, Cheekily New Task. <laughs> Lists and <laughs> remind me. Uh, and so this is by an app developer called Lino Grubin. And uh, it is just a very clean, simple interface looking task manager. And uh, as the description notes here, it says that new task is the world's fastest to-do list ready for your input the moment you launch it. You can enter your task right away and simply drop it off in your desired list. Uh, so so there's a, a free tier and then there is a premium tier for those who want to pay um, to support the developer. From just a first glance, uh, it looks you know beautiful. It looks like a modern design. A note that it has a 4.6 out of 5 star rating on iOS on the App Store right now, so that's pretty good. And uh, we'll see we'll see how New Task develops over time. Next up is a, a story out of Lifehacker talking about Edison Mail and them having a little bit of a security kerfuffle uh, where they accidentally uh, shared some iOS users' email addresses uh, with other iOS users who didn't belong having had access to those items. Um, it was just a small percentage of users they claim and so on and so forth, but this just brings up a fundamental point that I try to always tell people about, which is that with third-party email clients, you must be wary of them when they are new or when they're not paying attention to updates, but really 
be very mindful of using external third-party clients uh, just because of this kind of reason. Uh, you know, I've only been really recommending to folks to be using the Gmail app as well as the Outlook apps of, of late only because those third-party apps have a lot of power. I was burned by the Newton, formerly CloudMagic, email platform uh, several years ago, and I'm still feeling the sting of a, an email client that was doing something really wonderful, and then they went down, uh, then they were purchased and opened back up, and you know, I, I just didn't feel comfortable going back to an email client that did me wrong, so to speak. <laughs> so just a, a word of warning to everybody about that. iOS News, Apple release iOS 13.5 with COVID-19 exposure notifications, Face ID bypass and all that. Face ID works really, really well, but using the mask, it's kind of challenging. And it's not designed to come, originally designed to come the password quick. So Apple has made some changes in there uh, to make that better and to make that faster so you can access into your device when you are practicing safe measures. And in that line, we have New Zealand out with some new interesting location tracking app news, which is that they're because of the coronavirus, they are attempting to put out an application that will allow contact tracing for folks who test positive for the coronavirus, and uh, that is the coronavirus antibodies. And so what they're what they're doing now is Prime Minister uh, Jacinda Ardern is putting out this app and uh, calling it kind of a digital diary to help people record their movements and only share that data in the event that they are testing positive and that would allow others to know where they've been and who they might have affected. This is obviously controversial and other countries and other states around the, at least the United States are debating um, how to put it out and so on and so forth. Um, I, I'm just very interested to see whether or not this will pick up or whether it will be DOA, dead on arrival, in terms of people actually volunteering to do it. In countries where it was mandated, um, there's obviously a higher percentage of people using it. Uh, but in countries where it's not in, uh, demanded of us, uh, it's very unlikely people are going to just install the apps. And now... For a word from our sponsor this week, Zarvana, which you can find at Zarvana.com. As a young analyst at a leading strategy and management consulting firm, I experienced what ambitious professionals experience every week. I had a strong desire to get promoted as quickly as I could, and I wanted to take on exciting side projects, and I wanted to do all of that while spending less time at work so my life outside of work wasn't limited to exhaustion and recovery. My observations of my coworkers told me this wasn't possible. But I knew there had to be a way. I began to research and experiment, and in two to three months, I had reduced the hours I was working by over 15% while placing myself on the path to a faster-than-average promotion. My success led to the creation of Zarvana, a tool designed to give you the edge at work and in life. It combines a diagnostic, abbreviated courses, and a habit tracker into a single application to enable you to get the most out of your time in just minutes per week. You can start by taking the Time Finder Diagnostic to find out how many of our 150 time-saving behaviors you're currently doing. All right. Before the break, we were discussing the contact tracing app from New Zealand. The next set of headlines, it's all about Microsoft and his new fluid office documents, the Verge escalated office docs on asteroids. That is not necessarily true. This is not the first time that Microsoft tried to accomplish this. And it is something really, really interesting if it works, especially for the people who is stuck in Office 365 and 
at an office environment. The ability to bring different pieces of documents to one, I think is going to be powerful. You know, it's in a certain way trying to bring dashboards and, and business intelligence with Word documents. Yeah, this harkens back to Google Wave and the former product that was this this blend of many different pieces coming together into a single stream of content. And I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, they have open sourced the framework, which is brilliant because they're attempting to make this really something that everybody uses. So looking forward to seeing how Fluid Framework works in in the real world once they kind of release it into the wild and people are using it in everyday uh, documentation. Well, our next is Microsoft, again, is announcing Microsoft List. And they're trying to rename some of their products, bring some of their products, make a distinction between where you are in there. You're part of the free, you're part of the big package, you're part of the 365. And Microsoft List is one of those things. They come with the templates, they come with the start of list online, and it's going to be obviously fully integrated with the web, the mobile app, the Microsoft Teams, and it could be really interesting. I don't live on a Microsoft environment, therefore I am not the target market for, for this product, even that I have clients who, who have. That's the reason I need to go and look and check. But it is interesting what they're trying to do with this list concept and bring it to the public. I think that Microsoft is pushing a lot of these products out because they want to integrate it with Teams because of the coronavirus crisis. And a lot of these tools that they had that they were kind of baking in the background, uh, they're really pushing into the foreground marketing-wise because there are more people who are using Teams than ever, and they want to make sure that people stay with and stick with Teams as this continues on. And so it's really, I'm really curious about what what sticks ultimately. You know, a lot of these changes, as we talked about before, with Microsoft changing the Microsoft to-do bundled into the Teams environment, Microsoft, Microsoft Planner is becoming Microsoft tasks. And they're kind of pulling all of these pieces into the Microsoft Teams interface, even though they're separate applications as well. And List just seems to be the an, another one of those where I'm not quite sure why there's another list manager or task manager in the system, but they're just trying to throw it all out there and see what people adapt and adopt in their systems and then beefing those pieces up potentially. I don't know. I mean, Microsoft is uh, not known for being well-coordinated sometimes. So hopefully this all has a greater scheme associated with it. Next up is a new application uh, that I came across and I'm actually really loving it. It's called Command-E, although it is actually also Control-E on Windows. Uh, so Command-E on the Mac OS and then Control-E on Windows OS. And so what this does is you actually connect your cloud-based systems uh, to this to this tool, and it just verifies your identity with those. So it's not actually ever holding the data, it's all uh, done locally. What it does then is it indexes your cloud systems, whether that be Evernote or uh, OneDrive or otherwise. Uh, it's going out there, and now when you hold down Command, uh, tap the E key, or hold down Control and tap the E key, you now get a, a pop-up box akin to Spotlight on the Mac OS system. Uh, if you're on Windows and you hit the Windows key, uh, you will get the same pop-up Windows item and you can type a search from that point. Uh, so very similar to Spotlight. It's the same functionality. It's just one key as opposed to command spacebar 
but it, it searches all kinds of different uh, platforms uh, from you know Google to Salesforce to LinkedIn to Asana and Trello and Box and Google Drive and Dropbox and, and uh, Slack. And it is indexing it in the background. So when you do the search, it's just blazing fast. And then if you find the document, you hit um, enter or return, and it takes you directly to that item. So it'll open the application or open the browser and take you directly to that thing you're looking for so that you can quickly find it. And uh, there have just been some minor little um, issues that I've had with it in terms of it showing up in my toolbar or my taskbar, that is when I'm when I'm working, but that's just it doing its indexing in the background. Uh, I think with some updates, that'll just go away. Um, there's no reason for it to be, you know, popping up and showing up in the background, other than when it's indexing, I suppose. Uh, but for the most part, I found it to be really um, a time saver, like just being able to find documents. Now, I'm getting more comfortable with just, you know, control E or command E, uh, typing in what I'm looking for, and then it taking me to wherever it is in the system. So cool application to check out. You know, when I was a Mac user, and I work more on the Mac, there was an application called Alfred that did a lot more, a really more powerful index in that what Spotlight does. So I think this allowing you to index all these online services, you know, just Google uh, Docs and Google Sheets alone, it's going to be incredibly powerful for everybody to be able to find these documents really in in a couple of clicks. Yeah, I've been trying several different versions of these tools over the years. Um, there was one on the Mac only uh, several years ago that that did this and did it really well and, you know, combined your local, uh, you know, storage with your your cloud-based storage services. Uh, Command-E seems to be the most kind of rigorous one that I've seen to date. Interested to see what their business model is because right now it's free, you know, if they're going to be able to, to last. Uh, but I'm, but yeah, there, there, there aren't many out there that really do this um, combination of local and cloud storage search. And being able to find things in Trello or find things in Asana, I mean, that's just really brilliant. And, uh, and so I'm looking forward to seeing how they progress. Next up is some Rescue Time news. What is going over on at Rescue Time's research, Augusto? Well, Rescue Time is bringing a new study. They're calling it the 9 to 5 is dead, and the new research shows that 92% work on evenings and weekends, even before the pandemic. And it is an interesting article. It talks about when communication overload, what people is finding, what people, you know, how communication is changing, but it has a part that is interesting where they said that only 5% of the people finish their daily task every day. And with 25% of the people that they did the survey saying they rarely finish their daily task, you know, kind of. And then they go from there to the big challenges on this is too much work, too much meetings, email distracting, no clear priorities. So it is an interesting article. According to this, 29% of the people they survey are working nine hours or more. If we go by the traditional definition of work, that's alarming. There is a lot of people that, yes, they may be working those nine hours, but not all of those nine hours are actually work. So how they are defining that and, and the details of that, you know, will really make a difference on the accuracy of that data. And then we have some Facebook news. Uh, so Facebook has bought Giphy. They bought it for just shy of half a billion dollars. And they will be bundling Giphy into Instagram, actually. So Giphy will um, retain its own branding, uh, but it will be integrated into Instagram, which will be interesting. I'm presuming they want to be able to use this within both the sticker 
area as well as within comments. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, Giphy gets absorbed into the Facebook ecosystem over time. It's a huge library of of these GIFs and the the idea that they can, you know, have users go ahead and share the GIFs in the platform now so easily uh, will really um, solidify Giphy as a huge part of kind of the zeitgeist. Uh, you know, this is the generation of the of the GIF, um, even though the younger kids call it GIFs, it's actually pronounced GIF. Um, and <laughs> um, it'll be very interesting to see how, how uh, Facebook really handles this whole new world of video uh, you know they've they've tried with facebook live and, and they've you know you can you facebook video has been around for several years but now with facebook live uh, and and owning instagram and instagram live and igtv and now they're they're dipping their toe not dipping i mean for half a billion dollars uh they are jumping both feet into the into the water with uh with giphy and so we'll see what they do with the platform i think they they are poised to be able to uh keep uh, a stranglehold on the social networking market uh, with with what they're doing here. And of course, it's all about ads. So how are they going to monetize Giphy over time? Uh, right now, you can upload your own uh, branded GIFs. And uh, I wonder if that'll become a commercial opportunity for Facebook at some point to say, hey, if you want to upload uh, branded content, you now need to run an ad as opposed to just creating and uploading a GIF that's of your own company's brand. It'll be interesting. Well, Facebook is doing a couple more things this week. You know, one of them is adding Facebook shops that, and they said that eventually they will work through Instagram, WhatsApp, Messenger. But it is really interesting what they are doing with this concept. They're really expanding into doing this. I'm not sure yet how much Facebook shops will be a competitor for things like Shopify and things like that, but without any doubt, it's going to be interesting. And finally, you will start seeing if you haven't started jumping the avatars on your Facebook, if you go into Facebook as Facebook lounge avatars and people is trying to make these cartoonish things coming into your feed. And I haven't seen yet what people is going to be doing with these avatar things, but people seems to be enjoying them. Yeah, I think that Facebook shops is going to be a formidable opponent to Shopify and to several other e-commerce platforms that are out there. Uh, I do not recommend uh, businesses to be jumping on the Facebook shops bandwagon. I understand the allure, uh, a free tool that allows you to be able to very quickly and easily create e-commerce. If you already have an e-commerce system set up, this is not the place to go. But if you have no e-commerce, have no idea how to get e-commerce up and running, I see a lot of businesses that will choose Facebook because that's potentially where their audience already exists, and they are uh, willing to issue some of the benefits uh, for the opportunity to get in front of their audience to buy and to buy now for free. You know, there's no cost to the system other than the processing fees. Uh, the concern for me, of course, is that then Facebook owns you. Uh, you know, that's a real difficulty when your business is beholden to holding your entire customer list or potential customer list. They're holding all of the components of the e-commerce system, including, you know, payment processing, payment gateway, everything is really Facebook. And 
as someone who helps small businesses with digital marketing on a regular basis, I see the problems that they come across, like Facebook shutting you down. You know, Facebook has full power over your Facebook page. And that can be very uh, daunting if you get your Facebook shop shut down and then all of the revenues you were uh, hoping for from that are uh, dried up in a heartbeat. So be careful with something like Facebook shops. I just want to, I just put that warning out there for everybody. And so those are our headlines for this week. And that takes us to the science of productivity with Matt Plummer of Zarvana. Welcome to the science of productivity segment, which brings you scientific insights you can trust into how to maximize the impact of your life and gain an edge at work. In this week's segment, I wanna offer an answer to a long debated and super important question. Can critical thinking be learned? Many efforts to teach critical thinking in the past have failed And skeptics would argue that critical thinking can only be taught in the context of a particular topic or subject area, implying that engineers, for example, require a different set of critical thinking skills than marketers. This highlights the challenge of transferability, but it is not insurmountable, as a meta-analysis or review of 341 studies concluded, finding that there are effective strategies for teaching critical thinking skills, both generic and content specific across all education levels and all disciplinary areas. Critical thinking can be learned, but you need to follow the advice of psychologist Diane Halpern in order to build these skills. And the way to do it is to develop three additional skills. First, you need to develop a certain disposition or attitude towards thinking in the way you consume information. Second, you need to become a student of the structural aspects of problems and scenarios around you so you know when to apply which critical thinking tool. And third, you need to become adept at monitoring and evaluating the quality of your own thought processes. The good news is critical thinking can be learned. You just need to add these three other areas to your training plan. Thank you, Matt. And now let's get into our featured story of the week. Notion is coming back. This time, not as a headline, uh, but as our feature story, as they took their productivity app free for personal use. You know, that's an interesting move that Notion did this week. There is no storage limit. There is no, it's going to be completely free. And I don't know if it's a response of all the changes that have been happening the last two weeks on the market, or this was their plan all along. I don't know. But without a doubt, it is interesting being notion that the new kid on the blog who has been getting a lot of attention coming free for the personal after they raise, you know, those 50 million or additional 50 million in funding will be really, really interesting to see what they can do against OneNote and Google Suite and Google Suite and everything else. So the personal plan now is free for individuals. You can have unlimited pages and blocks, and you can share with up to five guests, and that synchronizes across all of the devices that you have. So there's no device limitation on that. Then they they have retained a a personal paid account that they call Personal Pro, and that one is $4 per month. And that one gives you unlimited file uploads. So even even though the free plan says unlimited pages and blocks, that does mean that there's a file upload limit on the personal account. Personal Pro takes away that 
that file upload limit and you can have unlimited guests and you get version history, which is really powerful. If you are doing a lot of work inside of Notion and you're paying for a tool akin to Google Docs, you want to be able to have uh, some level of version history. So I think this is a this is a power play. They got $50 million in funding, as Augusto said, and they are looking to uh, make more inroads and their real challengers are not, you know, I, I hear people keep saying, oh, you know, they're a challenger to Evernote and, and so on and so forth. They're not a challenger to Evernote or OneNote or any of those other note-taking applications. They're really a, a challenger to tools like Airtable, uh, Coda, and and like those tools, those kinds of workspace applications that are really trying to create a, a, a new interface for you to be working exclusively within. And as long as people are trying to fight in that space, I think Notion is going to be a really strong competitor. And uh, all of them are really, I mean, looking at all of the applications that are in that space right now, they're just really interesting. Um, I'm really curious to see who uh, really ends up winning. Um, it's complex. It's a complex market. And so the type of user that wants to build their own interface and own system is a little bit geeky. And so that's a smaller market than than I think uh, general productivity market. So it's going to be a tough road ahead for all of them. Like I said, the Coda, the Obsidians, the Rome researches, all of those folks in the world, they're going to really have to fight it out to see who becomes the dominant force there. Um, and so with that, uh, that brings us to the close of this episode. Uh, follow us on social media, leave a review, let us know if there's a story we missed by going to our contact page at anythingbutidle.com. Uh, you can also tweet and or DM us on Twitter at anythingbutidle. And uh, thanks for joining us for anything but idle than productivity news podcast until next time here's to your productive life